0: to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio, where we are busy here creating new stories because we know the stories we tell each other are sacred stories. They become our mythology, which then becomes our values, and thereby we begin to manifest that new normal. And if you think that's hyperbole, Just look at how the Garden of Eden myth has shaped the lives of women and men for thousands of years. I believe it was uh, foremother and feminist scholar Merlin Stone who called the Garden of Eden myth one of the earliest uh, forms of political propaganda, shifting the psyches of humanity toward patriarchy and effectively relegating females uh, to second-class status, even chattel for a time. You know, think of the myths and ideas we have today that shape uh, you know, so many minds out there. We have Ayn Rand's rugged individualism and trickle-down economic mythology shaping politics and democracy. We even have ancient alien mythology, which has become sort of a secular religion stories told and retold shape conspiracy theories in the minds of the public affecting outcomes of elections and world events the gospels chosen and rejected for the bible were done so with an agenda leading to our patriarchal culture what are the stories that shape how we look at 9 11 the war in iraq the assassination of jfk even how we think about thanksgiving and the history of christmas well, most of us have come to realize patriarchy, uh, otherwise known as rule by a male-dominated society that revere solely a male god, well, it's not working too good for Mother Earth and most of the people on the planet. How do we counter bleats that there's no option but the authoritarian father? How does society go about making a course correction? How do ideas that permeate every level of society from womb to tomb, boardroom to bedroom, voting booth to the workplace shift into a more fair, equal, and just world of partnership, caring, sharing, and peace? It begins with reawakening, I think, and reinterpreting our earliest pre-patriarchal myths, the sacred stories of the feminine face of God. Imagine how that might look if we could restore her wisdom and reclaim it from the trash bin of history and return her values to the center of society. If we can remember vision and restore ancient truths, then we might just manifest it. So I think we need to get busy. You know, Thomas Paine, one of our forefathers, he said, we have it in our power to make the world over again. And I love the quote from uh, feminist Arnhadi Roy, who says, another world is not only possible, she's on her way. And on a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. Yes, we can make the world a better place. Don't listen to the fear mongers and the naysayers. Don't listen to those who would have you scapegoat the other. Don't be distracted from the real issues and solutions. Follow those of us, women and men, who are blazing a new trail with pink-handled machetes. (laughs) Well, I have a great show for you tonight. Uh, I'm so happy to say one of my mentors is back on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. When people ask me whose work most influenced me, it's this woman's name that passes my lips. Rhianne Eisler is here. Her book, The Chalice and the Blade, started me down this path back in the 90s and over the years. She's pivoted from discussing her story to teaching us about social justice, caring economies, and how partnership leads to prosperity. Tonight we're going to discuss exactly that, as well as what choosing partnership over dominator model of society can mean for the most of us, for women, children, the elderly, basically so many of the 99%. We'll talk about why it's good business for corporations to care, too, and stop exploiting us and the environment. And last week, um, you, if you were listening, if you tuned in, we had the economist uh, Richard Wolf on the show discussing how to cure capitalism and what models uh, we can adopt to have a more prosperous economic future. Well, tonight's show I think is a great follow-up to that, as Rianne tells us about SWEIS, S-W-E-I-S. It's a new kind of economic indicator beyond the GDP, and like I said last week, if this isn't going to be a conversation that makes your eyes glaze over. You don't need to have had one class in economics to understand what we'll be talking about. You'll understand what we're talking about with your heart and your good common sense. You know, maybe you've heard uh, Bernie Sanders answering Barbara Walters' question recently about what one word would describe his presidency, and his answer was compassion, compassion. I think you'll see what we're talking about tonight is about basic fairness, justice, partnership, caring, and compassion, so we all have a better quality of life. We all should be questioning our quality of life, loudly and often. I think Rhiann's work helps us speak the language we need to speak to tell these new stories and shift our consciousness to that new normal in society, so don't go away. I have to first take a moment to tell you about a wonderful coffee table book, and then we're going to get right back to Rianne Because uh, this coffee table book arrived in the mail from Joe Carson. Uh, you might have heard Joe's uh, commercial here when we've talked about her documentary, Dancing with Gaia. Well, now she's got something new out there I want to share with you, the book, uh, is titled Celebrate Wildness, and I have to give you my personal take on it. It was really impressive. I really couldn't take my eyes off of it. I was enthralled turning from one page to another with the art of Fred Adams, the foreword by Poke Runyon, who's a master ritualist. This is an exceptional book, and I hope you'll look into it and think about it when you're adding to your library or your coffee table, because it's a great conversation starter. No wonder it's been called scintillating, rapturous, filled with erotically charged ritual with an overall vision of human culture utterly defined by wilderness, eros, and goddess. You can check it out by going to feriferia.org, and the title again is Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path, edited by Joe Carson, who is a longtime supporter of the show. And thanks to Alea Deho for the use of her music tonight. Uh, tonight's cut was called Awaken. Yes, Awaken. Not so subtle, am I? <laughs> Yes, yes, it's time I think more and more people are hearing the call to awaken. But now it's time uh, to uh, let you hear from Rianne Eisler. And uh, before I say hello to her, I'm going to uh, read you part of her bio. If by some chance this is the first time you're hearing of this incredible foremother and visionary, uh, the woman so many of us call mentor, Dr. Rianne Eisler, uh, she keynotes conferences worldwide, she's a consultant to business and government on applications of the partnership model that she introduced in her work. Uh, she speaks at the United Nations and international venues have included um, Germany at the invitation of uh, the German parliament, uh, also um, the chair of Volkswagen International invited her to speak to them. Um, she the mayor of Bogota, uh the Czech Republic. Uh and she was invited by the president uh, there. She's internationally known for her bestseller, The Chalice and the Blade, Our History, Our Future, which is now in twenty three languages. And um some of those languages actually include uh, Chinese, Russian, Korean, Hebrew, Japanese, Arabic, and her newest book, *The Real Wealth of Nations: Creating a Caring, uh, Creating Caring Economics*, proposes a new approach to economics that gives visibility and value to the most essential human work—the work of caring for people and the planet—and. This book, The Real Wealth of Nation, has been hailed by people like uh, Desmond Tutu, Gloria Steinem, Jane Goodall. Uh, she has um, multiple books, um, The Power of Partnership, Seven Relationships That Will Change Your Life, Tomorrow's Children, A Blueprint for Partnership Education in the 21st Century, as well as Sacred Pleasure, Sex, Myth, and the Politics of the Body, um, Women, Men, and the Global Quality of Life, She's uh, uh, written over 300 articles and publications ranging from behavioral science, futures, uh, political psychology, the Christian Science Monitor, the UNESCO Courier. Um, I have to say, I'm honored to say she's in my little anthology, Voices of the Sacred Feminine Conversations to Reshape Our World. And, you know, some background, what we don't hear about her often uh, is she was born in Vienna. She fled from the Nazis with her parents to Cuba and later emigrated to the United States where she obtained degrees in sociology and law from the University of California. She taught pioneering classes on women in the law at UCLA and now teaches in the Transformative Leadership Program at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Um she's a member of the general evolution research group a fellow of the world academy of art and science and world business academy a counselor of the world future council i could go on and on here she was even the only woman among 20 great thinkers selected for inclusion in macro history and macro historians In recognition of the lasting importance of her work as a cultural historian and evolutionary theorist, she's received many honors uh, and degrees. And wow, you know, Rhiannon, you have done more work than some people do in ten lifetimes. Um, Please (laughs) welcome to the show. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be with you again. Well, where do you find the time? You know, what what was your inspiration? Could it have been f- having to flee the Nazis at such a tender age? Or did that start it all for you, or was it something else?
1: Well, I think that did start it for me. Uh, of course, you know, that was very traumatic. I was a little child, and I couldn't understand what was happening. And when I did finally understand, when I found out, you know that most of my extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, had been killed in the Holocaust. Um, you know, I started to try to understand why there is so much cruelty and so much violence, and what can we do to change that. And that really was uh, very much the impetus for my. Research, But there was also something else uh, that happened much, much later when in the late 60s I woke up like so many other women to understand that as much as having been born Jewish had really obviously impacted my life uh, rather, shall we say, strongly, um, mm-hmm. having been born female having really been born female had also had a huge influence you know it was sort of like waking up from a long sleep because we had taken it so for granted that uh well that our place was really uh, a secondary place and so i did i threw myself of course into the women's movement i i wrote actually the um well, some of my very first books came out of my background as an attorney, and I worked very hard for women's rights. But I also, after I wrote the Equal Rights Handbook on the Equal Rights Amendment, which was the only mass paperback, by the way, but it was too late. Uh, basically, you know, when it was defeated, you know, I I I started to think, well, what's really needed is a cultural transformation and uh, that took me back to the questions of my childhood and uh, however when I did my research then I really paid attention to yes to the status of women and in looking at social patterns and that's one of the distinguishing features of my work that uh, i most studies are what we, well, we, they're called uh, the study of man, right? And mm-hmm, man yeah. really does not include woman. So uh, so that, that was one of the distinguishing features. So that was a long answer.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I I'm I'm thinking back to those years ago, uh, you know, when I read your book, uh, The Chalice and the Blade. Uh, you know, and as I said, you know, it really became the foundation for Uh, My Belief in Goddess Spirituality, you know, it, uh, you know, proved this feminine face of God idea, you know, wasn't a feminist fantasy, and I remember at the very back of the book uh, of The Chalice and the Blade, you sort of teased us with the idea, you know, of partnership over domination, and you brought to the fore that dominator pyramid, you know, uh, how, you know. Well, I guess i'm I'm wondering, you know, back then, you know, before you became who you are today and you you know you've made so many accomplishments, did God a spirituality or a feminine face of God you know fit into your life as a spirituality, or was it more of an archetype or a value, or um you know, how did that you know fit into your overall you know s- spiritual or psychological outlook?
1: I think that it was really the other way around that it was the the research uh for the chalice and the blade which of course as you uh, know uh really showed the long long tradition of what we today call the feminine divine or women's spirituality uh it was that that uh very profoundly influenced me um uh, uh, for example, I realized my mother. Uh, every uh, Friday night, she would uh, say a ritual, beautiful ritual, uh, with her hands a prayer over the uh, candles, and the prayer was about uh, asking the bride, the kala, to return, and I, and and that become very became but it acquired a completely different meaning for me because I realized that this was a remnant in Jewish tradition of a Mm -hmm. time uh, when women were priestesses, when the sacred marriage uh, of the goddess and the god was celebrated, you know, the kala, the bride, uh, was being welcomed, Um, and it was very meaningful uh, for me. Uh, In fact, uh, people you know like you who have read the chalice and the blade have told me that it has completely transformed the way that they look at their lives and at the world uh, including our past and present and possible future and 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 doing the research did that for me too uh, and well, as and i said uh, well let me just say really including women women's status how the feminine is defined, how the masculine is defined, uh, as part of my research, uh, made it possible to see these patterns of what I then called the dominator or domination system and the partnership system. And in both of these alternatives, and it's really a continuum, it's, it's you a know, matter of degree, uh, the status of women plays an enormously vital role.
0: Well, yeah. All right. Well, that makes sense, because, you know, really I was trying to see how you segued from finding a feminine face of God to um discovering the like you said you called it the cultural patterns the pattern of you know domination and partnership and obviously we associate partnership more with the sacred feminine and domination more with patriarchy was was there any you know one particular thing that sort of um you know solidified that idea for you or was it just the whole uh history or history of you know of, of the subjugation of the feminine that you know helped create in your mind that um, that dominator pyramid.
1: Well, no, uh, it, the dominator pyramid is there in reality, uh, not just in my mind, and so is what I call the partnership configuration. I mean, what happened is that because I drew from this much larger database than most studies of of human society, one that includes the whole of humanity, both its female and male halves, as well as the whole of our history, including the thousands of years of our prehistory, and also because I uh, looked at, at the whole of our lives, not just what's conventionally defined as politics and economics, but where we all live in our family and other intimate relations, what I was able to see are patterns. And there were no names for these patterns, for these configurations. And that's when I coined the terms partnership model and domination model. But you see, each has its own configuration. If you look, for example, today um, at one of the most regressive societies, on the planet ISIS or ISO or whatever acronym you use, uh, it has a very powerful domination configuration. It is rigid theocratic rule uh, and that rule is not only in the state or tribe but in the family. Secondly, it's the rigid subordination of women and with it uh, of anything stereotypically considered feminine, uh, whether in a woman or a man, such as caring, nonviolence, caregiving, and third, a very high degree of built-in, even idealized violence. But if you look, for example, at uh, other another contemporary set of societies, uh, societies like Sweden, Finland, Norway, they're not ideal, but they conform more to the partnership configuration. They have more democracy in both the family and the state. They have much more uh, gender equality. I mean, women are about 40 to 50% of the national legislature. Uh and third, uh, they've been trying, they're in the forefront of trying to leave behind traditions of violence. The first peace studies came out of those nations. Uh, they have a strong men's movement to disentangle so-called masculinity from its association with domination and violence. Uh, the first laws prohibiting violence, uh, you know, physical discipline against children and families came out of those nations. That's the partnership configuration. So right. it's what I discovered uh, out out in the world and through thousands of years, uh, going back to our prehistory, at a time when we did orient more to the partnership configuration. And yes, a time when there was more gender partnership, and of course, as a corollary, the feminine divine was acknowledged and venerated.
0: Right, and I and I should clarify. I I probably didn't choose my words. Uh, you know carefully enough I really wasn't trying to say this was you know this was an idea that was in your own mind I was just trying to say when did you connect the dots between the uh, you know the dominator and partnership models being associated with the sacred feminine and, and and I understand it's a reflection of what you saw in history it was a reflection of what you were seeing out there in the world and uh, and obviously it uh, you know it makes perfect sense and uh, um, I, I wonder, too, if when you first started out, uh, you know, I, I found this to be my experience, and I guess that that's the source of this question. You know, it's a lot harder, I think, to get people to talk about um changing society when you start the conversation from, the you know, from the place of a feminine face of God, you know, because so many of them, you know, especially if, like myself, I mean, I grew up a Catholic in Louisiana. I I was 30 before I knew anything about goddess spirituality. Of course, I had Mary in my background, but she's, you know, benign and passive, you know, kind of the way patriarchy would love I think, most women to be, you know, as opposed to some of these more, you know, powerful goddesses who give us a, maybe a warriorous archetype or other archetypes. And, um, you know, it, I, I find it, a, it, it you know, per, perhaps difficult sometimes to start this conversation about let's change society when you are talking about a feminine face of God, when some people don't even... Know that, or uh, acknowledge that, or it might go against, you know, their spiritual upbringing. And you know, it's like before you can even get to the politics, you know, you have to talk about religion. And wow, you know, it's it's uh, you know, two subjects that are sometimes uh, hard to talk about uh, out in the world. You know, it causes so much um, strife, you know, if you will. You know, um, I, I wonder if if, if it's easier to talk about economics and leave the whole spirituality angle out of it. Have you found that?
1: Well, yes and no. Depends on who it is you're talking to and how you frame it. And I agree with you. My gosh, I mean, uh, after you know uh, the Chalice of the Blade was published, and by the way, it's um, you read an older biography. Uh, it's now in twenty-six. Foreign editions. It was last year, um, as, as a matter of fact, acquired uh, by a Turkish publisher. So, I mean, that's that very book, cool. Um, uh, beg your pardon.
0: I was saying that's very cool. It's it's growing it very still cool. after all all of these years, and it just you know it it still has a wonderful uh you know wonderful interest out there.
1: Well, it's cited a lot and it's used a lot. And I still get mail from people who just discovered it and say, oh, my gosh, I mean, how come I didn't know about this? <laughs> I don't know how come. But, uh, well, the thing about it is this. You're quite right. I mean, fairy tales and religion. people We, we are taught these before our brains are fully formed, before certainly our critical faculties. Uh, are there, and that's why people believe uh, these rather imaginative stories, uh, to put it nicely. But uh, the thing about it is about the divine feminine, uh, depends on who you're talking to. If you are talking to somebody who really is interested in politics, as I am uh, very much, uh, then you could make them understand that the women's spirituality movement and the reclamation of the feminine divine, the reclamation of the priesthood for women, is really part of the challenge to a domination system, um, in which. And I don't. I think you've probably noticed that I don't use the terms matriarchy and patriarchy. Mm-hmm. But first of all, because they are really two sides of a dominator coin, right? Semantically speaking. I mean, whether it's ruled by women or ruled by men. uh, So we're trapped even by our language, aren't we? Uh, People feel very uh, freed when they realize that there is a partnership alternative and that it really has a lot to do with how the roles and relations of the two fundamental halves of humanity, women and men, are structured. So I'm always very happy when men, And men do give The Chalice and the Blade or Sacred Pleasure or, more recently, other books uh, to people in their families or their friends. Because it is, as as these guys tell me, it's an inclusive model. Yes,
0: yes. Well, and and you're right, you know, because matriarchy, um, uh, you know, how do we know that it wouldn't just be patriarchy in a skirt? And so I find myself talking about uh, egalitarian societies more often, and and you find too that you know sometimes people will shut down if you use the word patriarchy because they jump to this conclusion that um, you know you're 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 against men you know as opposed to uh, you know you're just trying to uh, create a world of equality and you know level playing fields.
1: Well, I think it's um more men, especially younger men, are beginning to understand that what I call a domination system and and the cornerstone of that system is male dominance, and the devaluation of the so-called feminine of uh, the soft whether it's in a woman or a man, you know we call men sissies wimps right mm-hmm. uh, you know effeminate is an uh, is an insult i mean right which is a reflection of what we have to leave behind. Uh, but I think more and more men are understanding that these rigid gender roles, you know, to rank one uh, sex, one half of humanity over the other half, requires very rigid roles, because otherwise how do you distinguish that one is supposedly better than the other, right? Um, yes, yeah. Men are beginning. Many men are beginning to realize that that's a straitjacket that has really imprisoned not only women, but men, depriving both of part of their humanity.
0: Yes, yes. No, no one can be their authentic self. It uh, just puts us in these tiny little boxes, and uh, um, a kind of a recipe for um, a, you know maybe an unhappy life. Uh, certainly. Um, well um uh, well, this um it it why don't you you know for people who maybe haven't read the chalice and the blade you know maybe just you know briefly talk about what the di- what the dominator pyramid is. Um, because, you know, I find that sometimes I go out there and and I'll talk about a dominator model and and Rianne Eisler's dominator pyramid, and some people have yet to uh, understand it or discover it. So if you would, maybe just a brief explanation.
1: Well, it's that configuration that I mentioned when I gave the example of ISIS or ISIL or the uh, Islamic Caliphate or whatever you want to call it it, it, it really consists of top-down rule in both the family and the state or tribe, and the two go together. This is what's so interesting. You know, regressives, I mean, whether it's so-called religious fundamentalists who are Muslim or Christian, they realize in their gut that the subordination of women is one of the cornerstones of that pyramid Whereas so many progressives still think of it as just a women's issue, right? And mm-hmm. so our job is really, to a very large extent, also awakening other people who want a different, more egalitarian, more well, uh, kinder, really kinder, not you know fairer, uh, more you know more caring society.
0: Right.
1: Um, I mean, you know, the, the 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 it is not coincidental that whether it was Khomeini in Iran or Hitler in Germany that getting women back onto their so-called traditional place which is a code word for subservient was one of their top priorities.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, this
1: is this is the domination system. So But what I found in the chalice and the blade, and this is really important, you know, we've been told, you know, that caveman cartoon, right, that male dominance, violence, you know, domination, right? Mm -hmm. Just, uh, you know, the way it always was and by implication the way it always has to be. Well, the reality, as I discovered and as more and more people are discovering, is that actually our earlier... uh, Prehistoric societies uh, until just about uh, really uh, 5,000 years ago, and in some places even less, oriented more to the partnership side. And one of the most interesting uh, pieces of evidence are, of course, all of the uh, feminine uh, goddess figurines. I mean, you know, uh, museums in the basement, uh, they're littered with these figurines. But it's a labeling issue. They call them women, whereas if they find a male figure, you know, it's a prince, it's a, it's a
0: sheaf mm-hmm. or it's, it's a <laughs> fertility. They want to just limit it to a fertility object or something. That is
1: correct. Or uh, as they did in the 19th century, to some form of bizarre ancient pornography, right? because they're nude and they have a very clearly defined pubic triangle and the breasts are there. I mean, it's so interesting what people project uh, in interpreting archaeological findings. And, of course, uh, this takes us back to what you were saying. We're almost imprinted, aren't we? But, you know, as a Catholic... I mean, Mary, that is the most bizarre holy family where only the Father and the Son are divine and the Mother, you know, the Mother of God is the only mortal. I mean, obviously, it's the goddess demoted, right?
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, and, you know, and unfortunately, too, she can only be half a woman in the sense that she can have no sexuality either because, you know, that's taboo. I mean, how can, you know, it's such a a difficulty to even have her as a role model, um, you know, because you would feel bad about your sexuality and, you know, you would just always be kind of barefoot in the kitchen. Um, You know, you'd never speak up and you'd just, do whatever the males you in your life told you to do. Yes, yeah,
1: suffering. Yeah, you just suffer. suffer. That was that was her example, her role model, um, subordinate. Um, you know, and suffering, and of course, it's a it's a miserable role model, isn't it? But you yeah. know, so many people well, we're, turn we're, to uh, Mary, just as they turn to Kuan Yin. Um, You know, because we have this yearning still. For the Mother, for the Divine Feminine And maybe we can start there If you're talking about religion
0: well, you know, I think too. Uh, one of the things um, I've said, and you know, and, and I don't, obviously don't have any scholarship to back this up. It's more, you know, woman's intuition. But if you're someone that believes in Jesus and Mary, I can imagine that she learned uh, that he learned his social justice at the knee of his mother. You know, um, that's a so, lovely point. I just love that. Yeah, yeah, um, but uh, it, it is it is difficult, you know, growing up with, uh, you know, even though I feel like, you know, of course the sacred feminine stayed alive in the guise of Mary, um, you know, it, it's really done a disservice to women everywhere, um, you know, to in, a, to, in a sense, you know, have that as their role model because they can't be whole people.
1: But, so. you know, it's not just Christianity, I mean... First of all, you know, I mean, if you start with Eve, as you know, I mean, yeah, the propaganda value of that story is amazing, isn't it? But there was also the Pandora story. uh, Yes. You know, which from a culture that was not uh, Christian or Jewish or anything like that. Uh, And if you look at Hindu, uh, sure, I mean, there's Shakti and there's Shiva, but Shakti, the woman... If you look at the iconography, half the time she's about half his size, right? (laughs) So you get the message, don't you? Hey, she's there, but she's not that important. And anyway, he is supreme, right? yeah. And the Buddha, um, I mean, my gosh, he had to sit under the Bodhi tree and, 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 and give up sex, right? Because being in contact with women and some Buddhist priests to this day will not even touch a woman for fear of being contaminated. So I don't think that it's just, uh, you know, the um, Abrahamic religions. It's something that happened in our prehistory, this shift to a dominator system. And, hey, they made up all kinds of different stories to justify it.
0: Well, and I'm wondering, you know, I know there's books out there that talk about how patriarchy came along. I think somebody recommended The Rule of Mars to me, but I I haven't, I had a chance to pick it up yet. I think it's one of those expensive seventy-dollar books. But
1: wow, um, I didn't know. I've got an article (laughs) in it. I didn't know it was so expensive. That's
0: well, I, I think it is. Well, that's I think it is. is.
1: That's a shame.
0: but um well i say that because i think it's more of an academic book but i i wonder uh do you think it you know patriarchy just came along in oh, different gosh, places no. differently uh i mean do you think
1: uh, well first well, of all, all, uh in in sacred pleasure which is really one of my favorite books you know the subtitle of it uh is sex myth and the politics of the body and it really looks at both spirituality and sexuality using the lenses of the partnership domination continuum, and it really shows the transformation. But I I think, yes, it did come along in different ways, in different places, but certainly there's a lot of evidence that what happened, and this is uh, what I really discuss in some length in Sacred Pleasure, if you haven't read it, do pick it up because you'll love it. Um, the first part really is about the transformation of the of the sacred marriage and of the goddess. I mean, like Demeter, uh, first she becomes Saint Demetra, you know, under Christianity, and then she has a sex change and she becomes Saint Demetrius. So, you see, the remissing process, it's fascinating to trace that. Or the sacred marriage, you know, from this uh, sexual and spiritual union that you read about in the Cuneiform tablets of Sumer about Inanna and her um, uh, partner, the Muzi, and she is the great goddess, right, who brings, the you know, fertility, and he, she brings love. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And then you have a, a, basically, in a very strange for a homophobic religion, you have a marriage between this male god and his male uh, priests, right? In the church, mm, yes, yes. That that yes. becomes the sacred marriage. So the whole thing is fascinating. But anyway, getting back to your question, uh, <laughs> um, uh, there's a lot of evidence that basically what happened is that during a time of massive Massive climate change. Uh, Areas that became really deserts uh, where there was no possibility of farming and and, and herding pastoralism. Rather than farming became the norm, and then, of course, pastoralism like cow grazing, you know, cattle grazing, even further depletes the soil. That wave after wave of uh, incursions, of invasions, from these nomadic pastoralists uh uh came uh, down and took over and really in many cases uh completely exterminated the more peaceful, um, more egalitarian, uh, more gender balanced societies. So one <coughs> of the lessons for our future is that this shift has to be global. In yeah. other words, uh you you can't just go into well we'll disarm because if we do, we'll have ISIL or whoever else comes up, you know, taking us over, right? A more rigid, right. more rigid domination regime.
0: Right, right. And, well, and, and I think I was hearing you describe maybe the Maria Gimbutas theories. Is um, does does that sound right to you? Her Kurgan invasion.
1: I've I've used uh, I've drawn from her work, but I've also drawn from the work of all people. Gordon Child, who remarked about this, he adored the Indo-Europeans, you know, the invaders, the Aryans, but he did remark that all the goddess figurines disappear all of a sudden, and there are signs of warfare that they didn't used to be. It, in a, but I mean, she really did discuss it in more in more detail. Uh, I've also used, drawn the, from the work of, of James De Mayo. Anyway, I draw. I always draw from more yeah. than one source.
0: Sure, sure. Well, in getting back to the sacred sexuality, you know, I've often thought that the power. I, well, I mean, I I I, I want to say this, you know, say this carefully. I mean, sexuality is such a powerful thing for <clears throat> for women and men, and it seems like to me that maybe. Um, Men were afraid of the power women would have over them through sexuality, and it, it, does has do, do you think that played into anything that no, you know? No, I and, really
1: and, I no. For one okay. thing, I mean we've we, that really either men were very dumb not to get it that uh, you know that they play a part in reproduction or they're just brutes, and I don't believe either one. I mean, I think it has to do a lot with, uh, see, to begin with, I think, domination systems came out of arid environments, where, if you will, the earth was not a good mother. But once a pattern becomes established culturally, it will persist in any environment. You know, we you can see that historically, okay? So I don't think is that men... Um, We're afraid of women's sexuality. Uh, I mean, (laughs) sexuality gives both women and men a lot of pleasure. Right. So why would they be afraid of it?
0: Well, I, I just thought perhaps you know, um, you know, it, it's easier to maybe get men to go off to war if if they're not happy at home. You know, they can use that aggression. <laughs> uh, you know, they can use that aggression to go off to war rather than you know if they're home sated and content and you know happy with their life. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is that story, Lysistrata? Is that the uh, that is a is,
1: a, a, a Greek. Comedy, uh, uh, you know, from uh, uh, Aristophanes. Uh, I have a wonderful chapter in the um, uh, in Sacred Pleasure. You really have to read it. I, I do. Oh, you, know, you will love it. But the thing about it is that this estrata is really a parody. About sort of a women's movement where men, where women refuse men's sex unless they get out of that disastrous war that they were in, um, which they didn't. Um, but so there was something like a women's movement in ancient Athens, uh, and that was sort of like a like a comedy about it. But um, the thing about it is, I have a chapter in there. Because the Athenians were terribly male dominant, my God, and it's by a classicist um she i, I used her title for my chapter, the reign of the phallus and um and that's in 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 the um part where you already see the shift but um yeah, you know I mean, this strata is about women withdraw- you know withholding sex from men right.
0: And now Spike Lee has something like that out now. I, I'm trying to think of the the title, but uh, they've he's got it's either about it's either out now or it's about to come out where they've sort of done a, a parody of the you know of, of Lysistrata and, and it's interesting. Well, so Rianne, so you go from Chalice and the Blade to I think the power of partnership and uh, no, I go pleasure. from Chalice no? and the
1: Blade to sacred pleasure. Okay. And then I wrote a book on education
0: called okay. Tomorrow's
1: Children, which is a totally gender balanced among mm-hmm. other things, curriculum because you know if you've noticed our curricula are not gender balanced. which is another problem that we that we have. I mean there's so much to do. Then I wrote The Power of Partnership, but go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: uh, That's okay. I'm I'm glad for the clarity because I I, I didn't have it in the proper order. Well, where I was leading to uh, was where, where and when did the Center for Partnership Studies, when was that born in this journey that you're taking with, you know, all of this wonderful research you're providing humanity
1: well, actually, that was born the year that the Chalice and the Blade was published because we were inundated by mail at the time. We didn't have the '87. Uh, we didn't have, of course, uh, email and the internet and the social media. People who wanted uh, to 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 be together, uh, do something, and so we 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 uh, in- incorporated this not-for-profit. And one of the first things that happened was that the former First Lady of Greece, Mar- Margarita Papandreou, uh, hosted the first international conference uh, on partnership. You should go to our website. It's centerforpartnership.org, and you'll see the history of it. And it's a fascinating history, which has, in a sense, followed the trajectory of my books so that now it's very much uh, really uh, dealing uh, with with all of them. I mean, we have webinars, uh, cor- you know, online courses, which are just fabulous. I mean, people uh, from all over the world. We've had uh, people uh, now from 19 nations globally, and from almost every U.S. state, um, because you know they're they're online, so people can take them. So we are uh, launching, as a matter of fact, the power of partnership as an online course based on that book. I teach a, um, um, a, a webinar called uh, Changing Our Story, Changing Our Lives and Cultural Transformation, which really follows the trajectory of, of, of my work. The Power of Partnership starts in, I think, January or early February, and I do my course, I think, not until March. I can't remember. But uh, I'm, the majority of our Online courses are really inspired by my book, The Real Wealth of Nations, uh, Creating a Caring Economics. And we certify caring economy advocates from all over the world to change our economic system, uh, which is urgent. And uh, that's, you mentioned the social wealth economic indicators. It was part of our caring economy campaign that we developed these new metrics.
0: Well, why don't you explain a little bit about the the social wealth economic indicators, why they're so important, and um, what they are, as opposed to um, GDP, which doesn't give the whole picture?
1: Well, GDP not only doesn't give the whole picture, but it gives a completely distorted picture. I mean, it it will uh, not, it it basically includes, uh, well, let me give you an example making cigarettes. The the medical bills resulting from them, the funeral bills, they're all great for GDP. Oil spills are wonderful for GDP. The cleanup costs, the lawsuits, uh, the you know the, the attorneys of that's all in GDP. But GDP also, and this is not only true of GDP, but of most, in fact, of all of the major so-called GDP alternatives, gives absolutely no value to the work, well, either very low value, because it's so devalued, or no value if it's done in the home, the work of caring for people starting in early childhood. And the social wealth economic indicators basically show the economic value of that work, and they also compare where the United States stands with other developed nations And shows that we have to catch up, not only because the disproportionate poverty of women worldwide is largely due to the fact that this care work, which is still primarily done by women, is either paid so very low or not paid at all. And we're the only developed nation that doesn't, for example, have paid parental leave, that doesn't have any caregiver tax credits that doesn't have any uh stipends for families to help uh care for children and we've got to do this not only because of the of the poverty that this causes and the injustice that it represents but because caring for children we know from neuroscience is the most important factor in producing that high quality human capital that we're told is essential for our knowledge service age right Right, so right. we make both an economic argument and a social justice argument. And the Swayze, so I really want to invite people, go to caringeconomy.org, and you can find out all about this. And it's really very important work, and we would like to convert the Sways, as we call them for short, uh, to an index, you know, because one of the advantages of GDP is just one number. It's an index. So if anybody knows of funding because, uh, you know, foundation funding or if it's a corporation, uh, please let us know.
0: Well, you know, if if your work were adopted, you know, across the board, and, uh, you know, it would, it would so greatly improve, you know, the lives of children and families. And, um, you know, I listened to some of the introductory podcasts, uh, well, well, webinars that um, that uh, the Center for Partnership had recently, and what I wondered is, is there anything in the program that would also address, um, you know, for, for the elderly, you know, for women who so many retire in Oh,
1: yes, of course. Well, first of all, I mean the statistics on the elderly. uh, In the United States, in our wealthy country, women over the age of 65 are twice as likely, well, they're twice as poor as men of the same age. And it's not only... Uh, workplace discrimination. It's because most of these women are or were either full or part-time caregivers at home, and that work is not supported in any way. I right. Mean, this, uh, you know, and it also, of course, the very low wages for caregivers in the market. Many of whom are African American or Latina or immigrant women of of, of another kind. Uh, that I mean, most of these people are living. Below poverty
0: yeah well and and- well, and honestly, Rien, I know so many more and more white women who are reaching retirement age, and you know they're 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 scared to death, you know because they don't know what tomorrow is gonna bring, and you know they all they can hear are you know Republicans wanting to privatize social security and or do away with it, and um, I mean a lot of people would be living under a bridge. Um I mean even with have. social security it's poverty wages you know
1: Well that's why in the spiritual community some people don't vote and I really think that's a terrible mistake because uh yeah we're not going to get somebody perfect but somebody like Hillary Clinton is going to be uh well she she has a tremendous record of looking out for women and children and so I, I I think that she's a very, uh, very important uh, to vote for.
0: Well, and I have to ask you, because I'll be honest, I've been, as much as I'd love to see a woman president, I've been leaning, you know, toward Bernie. And, I, I mean, why do you think she would be better than Bernie?
1: Well, first of all, uh, Bernie doesn't have a chance. I mean, this is a guy who spent his honeymoon in the Soviet Union, and who calls himself a socialist. I mean, no matter what you may think, Americans aren't going to vote for him. So it's a throwaway vote. It was like for Nader and, and look at who we got. But secondly, even aside from that, okay, he's a good man, but um, except for his stand on gun uh, control, which is lousy, mm-hmm. But uh, she is so much better, so much more experienced, uh, and she gets things done. I mean, this is a woman who has a look. I mean, she's also an original thinker, and and she has tremendous values. I mean, when she came out of Yale, she could have had a job with one of the big law firms. She went to work uh, for the uh, for, for 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 the uh, children's fund. You know, I mm-hmm, mean,
0: yeah. Well, you're not worried about her being too close to, you know, Monsanto and, uh, you know, her not wanting to break up the big banks and, uh, you know, maybe her being a little bit too corporatist. It would just be, you know, more of the same rather than, um, um, you know, making... Look, my dear,
1: I'm not worried. Look at Obama. I mean, his health care program was a tremendous boon to the insurance companies, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. and to the Mm -hmm. HMOs. But he promised all kinds of things, and in the end he had to work with them. Okay? Right. Yeah. So I think that somebody who is willing and able to work with these people is going to do a much, much better job than somebody who just has a lot of rhetoric.
0: Okay okay well you know fair enough that's 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 your thoughts um well, you know, I had Richard Wolfe on the show uh, last week, and uh, he's i don't know if you're familiar with his work he's a um, he's a, a a professor and economist, and you know he was talking about uh, one of the things that would help the economy would be um, employee owned businesses and um, you know i I wonder if you know if you had any thoughts on and other things we might be able to do to, you know, help move us toward a more, uh, you know, environment where we do take care of the people, you know, well, before uh, we take care uh, of the corporations. Clinton, and,
1: Hillary Clinton has has rolled out some of her plans. One of them is caregiver credits for p- taking care of the elderly. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has, when she was Secretary of State... Uh, she insisted that our foreign policy take into account the status of women, I mean, in other nations. That was a breakthrough. Uh, I'm afraid that the old uh, leftist politics uh, of a Bernie Sanders or of an Obama, as a matter of fact, uh, really uh, leave us thinking we're going to get something that we are not going to get. Uh, I think that. As I said, one-third of American women live in poverty or on the brink, according to the latest driver report. Now, and I wrote an article for that piece, by the way, on why one of the reasons that I just said is that because care work is so devalued. So if we really are serious about doing something about the disproportionate poverty of women and also of of the African American community, we have to have policies that will give visibility and value to care work. Uh, Hillary will. Uh, Sanders hasn't said boo about it because okay. it's not in his. Um, well, anyway, I want to live to see a woman president. Uh, <laughs> and, and if we're talking about women's spirituality, that is so important. Because it gives us a model of a woman of power.
0: True. True. Well, um, I wanted to also ask you about Finland. Um, I, Finland, I think, is moving toward this idea of um, uh, stipends for people, you know, because of uh, income disparity, because of robotics. There just aren't enough jobs to keep everybody employed. Um, do you, and, and I know you, you know, hold up some of the Scandinavian countries and their policies as something we should aspire to. Um, I want what you think about that, and do you think there's a way we could ever move in that direction?
1: Well, for one thing, I'm not convinced that that's the best approach because people need meaningful work. So what I've proposed in The Real Wealth of Nations to deal, I've got a whole chapter on robotics and technology. I mean, you you know, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, we have to redefine what is productive work. So my idea is to train people to care for people, and to mm-hmm. give them stipends to do it but not to just hand out money uh that's yeah. just not a healthy thing to do
0: well and i i don't think it's would be like just welfare i think you know i think they have to go to school or they have to somehow work for it or volunteer or something i don't think it's just yeah. a. If, you if know there i don't is. get the impression it's a free handout
1: if that is there, and I really would appreciate it if you sent me something on that, be very interested uh in seeing it. but if there are you know if they have to volunteer, you know provide some care uh if they uh have to go to school to do something I mean look, the only work that machines really can't properly do is to be creative and to be caring right right and uh, so that's what we should encourage people uh, to do, and we should have a tremendous. Well, in the in my book on education, in Tomorrow's Children, I propose that caring for life, for self, for others, and for Mother Earth be part of the curriculum from preschool to graduate school. So we're talking about a cultural transformation, aren't we? Right,
0: right. What I think I've been so. Well, you know, when you think about your work, Rianne, I mean, you have been so courageous. I mean, here you put out a book about uh, herstory and and uh, you know goddesses and our you know patriarchal culture, and you know you put out this other book about the real wealth uh, wealth of nations, talking about these other cultural uh, transformations. Has it you know has it been difficult? I mean, has there been uh, you know pushback? I mean, uh, you know, people writing you and saying, you <laughs> um you know well no, i really uh, haven't had much of
1: that i think that it's really interesting well i have a, a a way of saying some of these things that if people actually bother to read my work um it it, it is um not offensive because look what's the point i mean all you do when you do that um If you say you're bad, right, or the corporation is bad or whatever, you get people defensive. So I try to make it possible for people to see what's in it for them. Okay. Yes,
0: and and you're really good at that. I've I've noticed how you know you are you're, you're really good with the language and, uh, and and you you master the language very well because, it, like you said, you know you you if you want them to listen and consider your ideas, you certainly can't offend them. And I mean, you're even well, I know in the chapter of the, uh, the chapter that you submitted to the Voices of the Sacred Feminine anthology, you talked about how corporations can actually get a return on investment. If they don't exploit their workers, uh but of course, you don't put it that way. I'm putting it that way, and uh because you know we can't really just rely i think on on anyone or or corporations to do the right thing because it's the right thing, you have to prove to them that there's something in it for them right i mean uh um, well, as long
1: as the system is structured as it is now um in terms of a consumer economy, which is totally unsustainable by the way because of the fact that there aren't going to be enough jobs. Uh, I mean, we have to really... The, the, the Real Wealth of Nations has the building blocks for what we have to do, which is to really start creating a whole different way of thinking about economics. But as long as we're still in this system, you have got to prove that, and that's why, to get back to the social wealth economic indicators, to the sways, they are tools... Uh, for really showing uh, people in government and people in business uh, who have the power to make the decisions that it's in their best interest to have right. more caring policies. And, and I really emphasize caring policies because, uh, you know, the notion of nobody having private property, I mean, or I mean it's, it's so unrealistic. Look at what happened. The Soviet Union turned into a domination system. I mean, I was there, um, invited uh, with a group of, um, of women, Nordic women for peace years ago. And, oh, my God, I mean, while they ate caviar, uh, you know, and, and served us caviar, uh, people were just, in, you know, dying for some of the things that we take for granted, even people who live here uh, under very poor circumstances. So, you know, you have to really, I mean, I'm very realistic, I'm very pragmatic, but at the same time, I have a vision of something that's possible and yes. yes uh the how we consider women and the and the and the feminine is key to that cultural transformation and to a more just and caring world.
0: so how far away are we you think from having um you know, our government or our, I'm not sure if that's the right word, from actually using these sways? I mean, have you been able to, you know, con, you know, convince, you know, people who make these sorts of decisions that, you know, we need to expand beyond the GDP? Or is that one of the projects that the Center for Partnership has on its plate? Uh, at well, point I think in
1: time? that I'm, I'm not the only one who says that we have to look beyond GDP. There are a lot of alternative measures floating around. But the only ones that have a gender <coughs> component that's powerful uh, and the only ones that really show the economic value of the work of care and why it's so important for both quality of life and for economic success are the ways. And no, we have not convinced the government to adopt them. You know, Change takes a while, but we're we're not going to give up. And so I want to invite people to donate to support the Center for Partnership Studies, and you can do that by going to caringeconomy.org. Okay, well,
0: I sent my donation in.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk with you
0: well, thank you rianne i really I have enjoyed speaking with you and uh I so admire the work you're doing out there in the world. You've really uh been a role model and a mentor, and uh I think just an incredibly courageous smart woman and uh you know it's uh, i i'm so glad i found your book that's that's all i can say um well as we wrap this up is there um anything you want to say to close anything else about the partnership society or did you want to give the website again or I, I i you know give you the last word here
1: oh thank you well i can give you uh three websites uh, one is centerforpartnership.org the other one is CaringEconomy.org. And the last one is com. So um, I look forward. You can uh, sign up for our mailing list. Um, you can take our webinars. And you can certainly read my books and let me know what you think of them. So I I, I thank you, Karen, and keep up your wonderful spiritual
0: work. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Rianne, and have a wonderful holiday, and uh, no no doubt we will chat again soon. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, my dear. Blessings. Bye-bye.
0: Blessings to you, too. Bye-bye. Well, I uh, hope you enjoyed that uh, as much as I did. Always a pleasure to talk to Reanne. Well... Um, that about uh, does it for tonight. Uh, we're not going to have a long show. Uh, but I do want to thank uh, all of you listeners who tuned in last night to my special um second episode of the goddess calling Audiobook uh series uh it was called resolutions and return of the light uh i saw a lot of you downloaded it and in fact double the amount of uh downloads that uh that i normally get so uh thank you for that i hope uh hope you enjoy it and uh, in a few weeks we will put another one out um and uh, that, the, you know, that is an audio series from uh, from the book uh, Goddess Calling. So if you hear enough of these, uh, you know, maybe you'll decide that uh, uh, you have to have the book at your at your nightstand to maybe give you some inspiration, and uh, uh, and you can enjoy some of the meditations, which I will also be sharing as a way to do a little bit of ritual on the radio. So um, I want you t- to remind you. Uh, to remember who you are Uh, as I've said here before on the show uh, you are the cognitive minority and in the words of Gandhi uh, first they ignore you then they laugh at you then they fight you and then you win or as author Schopenhauer, the, the uh, philosopher said, "All truth passes through three stages: first, it's ridiculed; second, it's violently opposed; and third, it is accepted for being self-evident." And I do believe we're living in uh, the evolution now. Uh, I think what we see every day is what it looks like. Um, I don't, you know, I think if, if we're realistic, I don't think we could have thought that we will we would just wake up and one day everything would be changed Um, you know it is a struggle and change takes a long time uh, to come about so just keep doing what you're doing uh, to be the change and walk your talk and usher in good vibrations and elevated consciousness and you know this time of the year um, as we try as best we can with the hecticness of the season, try to find those moments for yourself to sort of marinate in the darkness so that you can renew yourself, so that you can recharge your batteries and, um, you know, get those creative juices uh, flowing again. And... um, I have to say, as much as I respect Rianne um I'm still a Bernie girl. <laughs> um I'm not sure she's really looked closely at his platform, but uh I certainly respect her uh her opinions and uh, I would just encourage everyone out there uh if you really want change, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to tinker around the edges uh, I really think we our our whole government has been pulled so far right that um you know a candidate that uh you know really sort of offers just republican light um, you know ideas uh which is I think what we've had for so long uh is not enough. I think we have to start thinking about our quality of life and um you know changing things, you know rather drastically. I mean, I remember when I first had a job uh, as a secretary, I mean, just a lowly secretary, I wasn't in management, and uh, we used to have benefits, and, uh, you know, we didn't have this sort of job insecurity, and, uh, you know, life really was, it you know, was much more secure than it is today. You know, corporations were not running amok, um, you know, things have really gotten so far out of hand. Uh, I really do believe what uh, Bernie Sanders says. We really do need uh, a revolution, in a sense, because, um, uh, you know, we we have let, let corporations just uh, run amok, and they control our lives. And we really do have an oligarchy. We don't have a democracy anymore. And if we think we do, I think we're just burying our head in the sand. So anyway... Uh, I, I do recommend you go to the Center for Partnership Studies, though. Uh, wonderful stuff there that uh, Rian uh, is teaching. Uh, I believe they're creating some wonderful Pied Pipers that will, um, you know, help uh, perpetuate this message of uh, of partnership that I think is part of the idea of the revolution, quite frankly. And, um, I myself uh, am going to be taking some of those classes, uh, in this, in, I think some of them start in January, and then some of, some of them start in March. Uh, so take a look, and at the very least, uh, take a closer look at, uh, at her wonderful books. And please, by all means, if you have not read Chalice and the Blade, that is a must. That is definitely a book you have to have. So in closing tonight, uh, dear listeners, I want to wish you uh, a Merry Christmas. I hope you have a nice holiday. Um, I'm going to have some comfort food, and as silly as it might sound, I am looking forward to green bean casserole and macaroni and cheese and maybe some ham and things that... um, You know, I guess I stop myself from eating all during the year because I feel so guilty about it. Maybe some Napoleons for dessert, um, maybe a couple Mai Tais, too. (laughs) Um, All right, I guess uh, that's about it for me tonight. Um, I hope you enjoyed uh, Richard Wolf last week. I, I think he's, uh, you know, he's he's uh, another person that said a lot that we probably need to know. Uh, I really don't think, he said himself that academia has not been doing their job uh, teaching people about the alternative uh, styles of government, um, you know, that we have really uh, demonized anything but capitalism. And... Um, and, you know, and, and and I have to say, you know, Bernie Sanders is not talking about turning the United States into a socialist government, um, you know. So if, if anyone assumes that, that is absolutely wrong. So anyway, um, I guess that's it. Thank you so much. As, as uh, we get close to closing down uh, 2015, uh, the next show will be on the 29th. Uh, with a, a guest of mine uh, by the name of Shona, and we are going to be talking about um, uh, reawakening um, um, ancient. Uh, let's see, I have it right here. I think I can. I think I had it. No, I don't. I apologize for that. I should have been more prepared. Uh, but I believe it's uh, we're going to be reawakening, um, you know, ancient goddess. Uh, beliefs uh as as one thing we can do to um you know universal goddess beliefs to bring us into um, a more elevated awareness being more in touch um more in touch with our uh, bodies and uh, because she's actually a, a modern medicine woman uh, Shona is and uh, well, you know we're just going to have a conversation uh, along those lines you know um, you know bringing wise woman back into uh, modern culture and uh, time to reclaim uh, our lost cultures I think that's you know that that would be a good way to probably uh describe the show um so that will be the closing show of uh of 2015 but uh, I am running a bunch of reruns. Uh, the last two weeks of December is sort of a gift to all of you out there. Um, so uh, These will not show up in your email inbox however, uh, so you will not get notice of them if you hit the follow button. Uh, the way the system works, reruns will not automatically come to you to just click on the button. You'll have to actually go to the page uh, if you'd like to um, you know look at uh, some of those. and some of the reruns that uh, have already ran, I'll just tell you what some of them are in case you want to make sure you don't miss them. Uh, one was Noam Chomsky and Lane Redman. Uh, that one is there for you. You just have to scroll down uh, from my show page. Uh, Margo Adler, Sacred Knowledge. Uh, That was a rerun we ran. Uh, Another one which I thought was awesome with Ken Worthy, uh, Finding Human's Place in Nature and also uh, witch-hunting women in capitalism. It it was so interesting because you could see a direct connection from witch-hunting to when capitalism comes along and how that um, manifested and the connections there. You know, who would have thought? um also Selena Fox and the pagan roots of Christmas. Uh one of the other shows uh I did at the top of the month was um, Becoming a Goddess with Renee Store. Uh and interestingly Kathy Pagano, our resident astrologer, she did a prediction about the presidential election which um puts Bernie puts Bernie in the, in the White House. So if you want to go back, uh, that one is not too far down the um, the show page. And as I said, you know, I've put put out two um, episodes from the Goddess Calling audiobook series. One is Resolutions and Return of the Light, and the other is Separating Truth from Myth. Okay, well... I am going to say goodnight now. I've kept you too long, but uh, I do want to just say thank you. I know you have lots of choices, and you're very busy, so when you spend your time with me, know that it is appreciated. You are the gas in my tank. Good night, dear listeners. Um, Merry Christmas, and I'll be back with you next week.